Amen. What a great story. Should we stand together for a moment? Let's pray. We want God, the same God who's saving people in hospitals and rescuing them via phone calls to be at work in our lives today here in this place. Lord God Almighty, we declare that we are utterly dependent on you. We need you. God, we pray that you would move in this place and move in our hearts. Lord, we thank you that the darkness trembles at the name of Jesus. We thank you that there is no name that's higher than your name. And I pray today as we open your word, you'd birth faith within us. You'd give us a fresh vision and revelation of something that we can put into practice in our hearts today and in the days to come. Lord, help us, I pray. Help me uh, to know how to share the word you want to, to be shared today. In Jesus' name, amen. Do take your seats again. So some of you will have been here last week when we had an a all-together service, a Church United service, and we actually, for the first time in a very long time, did an all-age service too, so it was all of us together. It looks like the, are the youth going out as well? I think so. Yep, they have. So um, we did an all-age service as well, so we had this amazing moment last week where there was a prophetic word given that was quite an unusual prophetic word. And if you weren't here, I, I can't recount it all, but I'll... I'll, I'll recapture, try and recapture an essence of it. The word was, was delivered here, and it was a, a visual metaphor about someone being roped together with the person who is here, and then connected with the person who is here, and roped together, and so the word went on. about. And it talked about the importance of those connections, about the importance of being connected together and roped together and joined together. It's a powerful word, unusual one, because we've not had one demonstrated in quite that way. The next thing that happened in the service was that Helen got up. Helen Bruce was leading a creative prayer slot. And uh, she invited us all to respond and to come and to pray for different areas. And there was different baskets um, across the stage and some at the back. And different areas of the church to pray into. Youth and kids and community and, and mission and life groups and, and different things like that. But in each of the baskets was a, 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 a section of cut-up ribbons like this. In fact, those, that's a photo of some of the ribbons. And uh, as we went round, we picked up a ribbon and we prayed over that area. And when we were told to join them together um, into a little string of ribbons, and then it turned out that we all joined them together. And so by the end, we had uh, a complete circuit going round the church of these, these ribbons. And actually, it was too many to go round. And we had uh, extra loops here and all sorts of bits and pieces, but they all joined together. And we realized as we stood there holding these ribbons that we had a cord that went from one to the other, to the other, to the other. We realized that we'd enacted what God had told us spiritually to do. And I believe that word over the church is so significant in this season. And it just happens, just so happens, what a surprise, that we were planning a series on community that was launched last week. And uh, the person who gave the prophetic word didn't know that, and uh, it was all just kind of tying in together seamlessly as God weaved his way through what we'd planned. And so my role today is to launch this series on community, and others will pick up next week onwards looking at different aspects of this in a very practical and real and relevant way. Because although this is laying a foundation, we want the following weeks to be really personal and honest and true and down to earth in a way that we can apply. 
That's our heart, because we don't want to talk about this just as a theme, but just to capture some of what we're talking about today, many of you will have experienced Christian community, that sense of being joined together. When you go to a, a, a place that might be somewhere else in this country, it might be somewhere overseas, and you arrive there, and through unexpected circumstances, perhaps, you bump into another Christian, and you begin to share a story, and you realize there's a connection that binds you together, that despite the fact you've never met, uh, despite the fact you don't know each other's stories until that moment, there's something that connects you together that you go, wow, this is deep. We belong together. Have any of you had that? And some of you will have done. I've, I've had the privilege of going to church in different parts around the country and, and overseas as well. And there's times when you get, thank you, Afik, there's times when you get to uh, a church service, and sometimes it's in a language you don't speak. And you can watch the service as it goes through, and, uh, but you're not just an observer, you're a participant in it. Even though it's in another language, even though it's in a different culture, even though you don't belong, you do belong because you're part of the body of Christ and you're deeply connected. When we go into a service some years ago in a different part of this country, uh, to a, a different kind of church, and uh, I was doing okay until communion was shared. And they did communion just as we're going to do today. It wasn't anything particularly profound about the communion service, but I just found myself beginning to, to tear up and weep. And it was because I realized that I was connected. This was family. I didn't know these people. I didn't know any of their stories. I didn't know about them. I hadn't heard about them. We'd just gone to church. As Judith and I do, if we're on holiday, we, we go to church somewhere. If we're away, we, we find a church and we get involved because we belong. We're part of the family together and that incredible moment where you go do you know what I'm part of this we get to do this together because we know we're not meant to do faith on our own well, Jules has just shared some exciting stories about people finding faith and my instant thought is where are they going to belong where are they going to plug in how are they going to be nurtured and supported because we can't do faith on our own I know there's resources out there I know there's internet and you can you can sit in front of your computer screen and you can download brilliant conferences and and better preaching than I can deliver. You can, but you can, and you can go to, to all sorts of different places. You can watch things on TV, but it's not the same as belonging and being in community and, and having to rub shoulders with people that you wouldn't otherwise talk to, that you wouldn't sit in a room with necessarily unless you belong to Jesus and Jesus has called you here. And that's why community is really important. We know we can't do faith on our own. We can't just... Um, be a Christian by ourselves. Jesus called the disciples in, in pairs quite often. He called them into this group of 12 and, and invited others. And he sent the 12 out. And we notice that other times he sent 72 out. There was a big crowd around him often. And sometimes a smaller one. And Jesus started this thing called church. This thing called church, ecclesia. I've got a few words today I'm going to pop up on the screen. This is the first of three. Ecclesia. The church or ecclesia. It means a community of gathered out ones. People who are gathered together. We, we talk about this in, in, in church here where we talk about gathering, growing and going. This is the, the bigger gathering of the church. This is what this word refers to. Called out ones. Called out of uh, the rest of society perhaps and called together for a significant purpose. This is what we're talking about today. And there's, there's loads of different pictures for the church in the New Testament. And we're going to look at a few quickly. One of them is the body of Christ. I won't go into this too much because we've been covering this over several weeks now, looking back at the gift of the Spirit. But this is the thought that we are interdependent, that some of us um, on our own are, are a part of the body, and, but that the body itself needs all of us joined together to make the whole. 
This is the basic thought of this, that we depend on each other and that interconnection is important. We've sometimes said to, to folk who are joining the church that because of this metaphor um, that the Bible uses quite often, it may just be that as you're joining a church, community and congregation, you provide part of the body that, that wasn't fully formed or wasn't, was missing even. It's just possible that the body can function better now that, that you belong to it. And that's true here. Every single person plays a part and has a role to play in the body. Not just to keep things going, but a vital part. And we make sure that Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head of this body, uh, his body, the church. A second image that the Bible uses is of a household, God's family. And uh, th there's a little tiny verse at the bottom that says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is an incredible verse because it talks about the way you and I have been brought into God's family. And so we've got, let's just check, body language, bits of the body, parts, functional, belonging, but, but functional. Then we've got family language, changing the picture again. And we're, we're learning there that actually we're, we belong. We're not left on our own. We're not isolated. And whether I go home to a house on my own or whether I live with a, a large crowd of people, I belong in God's family. And we're family together. We belong together, fellow citizens. Another image that the Bible uses is of a bride. It talks about the church as the bride of Christ, that Jesus is preparing uh, for his return. And it talks about this, this love relationship and this sacrificial relationship where Jesus gives himself for his church. We read of a, the church as a building where each of us are living stones built into this building that God is building and Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. We read of Jesus being the shepherd of the sheep and we of course get to be the sheep in that analogy. Don't you love that, being a sheep? Intelligent, articulate. That's our role, folks, following the shepherd. And I'm glad we've got a good shepherd in Jesus. Because oh, I'm just going to give myself a tangent now. I've told you this before, but I used to live in Devon, and one of the challenges of living in a rural farming community is that sheep on, on, in the moors on, on Dartmoor, aren't, they're not particularly... Uh, robust animals, I mean, they're hardy animals, but if they, they get into trouble, they can't rescue themselves. And very sadly, you drive around Dartmoor and you see upended sheep. And, and it's not that cruel teenagers have been going around pushing them over. It, that's, that was the, the challenge to do with cows, but um, and they, they can get back up again, and no, I never did it. Um, um, but um, sheep end up, unfortunately, upside down and can't right themselves quite often. They just can't get back up and they're helpless. And so it, it, that, that painful analogy is one that points us to this, the Savior, our shepherd, our good shepherd who helps us. Because there are times when you and I end up upside down, vulnerable, going, ah, what do I do now? And Helen's talked about life groups and how it's great to belong in community and life groups. And it's so important. But they only work because of Jesus and the life that he gives. Uh, we read about the vine and how we need to be connected into the vine. We're the branches on this vine and, and how actually we can't function, we can't bear fruit by itself, so we need to be connected in. You'll notice through all of those that the central themes are that we need to belong to each other and we need to belong to Jesus. And I believe that God is issuing a call to us as a church to be the people of God to be the church, to be the community of the church, not to attend church, not to go to church, not to drive past a church, but to be the church. 
We're not about going to a building. We're not about attending. We're not about watching. We're not even about participating in as a kind of bit part. But we are the church. That we're the church of Jesus Christ, the living, vibrant body of Christ. And it's a radical message. It's a radical statement to the world. And and over these coming weeks, we've got different preachers coming to share revelation that God's put into their heart about an aspect of working this out in practice because it's hard. And we're going to talk honestly about some real stuff, about what it means to live in community and how actually that can be difficult to do at times. And we've got to make practical steps to put things in place practically because our own hearts need help at times. But today I want to narrow it back in and talk about God's desire for community. And to to start with a prayer that Jesus prayed. It's a very familiar prayer. And I've just got a little snippet of it here from John's Gospel, John chapter 17. And this is Jesus, he's taught his disciples, he's, he's been with them. This is in John's Gospel, this is the moment before he's uh, arrested or betrayed and then arrested. This is the moment before that happens. And this is Jesus praying his, his last free prayer, if you like, before the cross. And built into this prayer, he prays for the disciples. He then goes on to pray for us, you and me. And this is exciting. Because this shows us that Jesus, uh, 2,000 years ago, before the cross, before he was put on trial, before he was, uh, sorry, before he was arrested, before he was put on trial, before he went to the cross, before he took our sin, before he rose again, before he then ascended and sent the Holy Spirit, before the church was birthed, he was thinking of you and me. He was thinking of us. He was thinking of people like us all across the globe who would come to believe in him and would trust in him. And this was his prayer. Having prayed for the disciples, he said this, My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. You were there that day. It's exciting, isn't it? That moment in the, as he's praying, he was thinking of us. Maybe not individually, I don't know. That would have been a lot of people to think about, wouldn't it? But he's thinking of people like us who belong, not just those who are with him. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The prayer goes on from there. He prays in a similar theme again, unpacking it a little bit more. But I think that's enough just there for us to understand the core that Jesus is trying to get to. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you're in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so the world may believe that you've sent me. Now you're familiar with this prayer, I'm sure. But I noticed a few things that I hadn't quite seen before um, in in the same way. The first most obvious point is that Jesus is praying that all of us might be one. And it struck me that because of the impending situation, the, the, the situation that's just around the corner, the crowd that's coming to arrest him, Jesus could have prayed anything. Now in that moment, I wonder what you would have prayed and I wonder what I would have prayed in that moment. If I could pray anything to my heavenly father, this is Jesus who's God, but he's talking to his father. If I could have prayed anything at that moment, would I have been thinking about us? No. If I'm honest, I'd have been thinking about me. Because I'm like that. And perhaps you are too. 
I'd have been thinking about the situation I was in right there. But Jesus' vision and his passion is so long-sighted. He's so committed to what he's doing. He's so aware of the cost. He's so prepared to lay down his own, own life that he's thinking about the whole point of what he's doing. Why? Because everything Jesus does connects together. It's not isolated little moments. Every miracle, every story, every illustration, it connects because he's, he's wanting to present the kingdom of God to people like us that we might believe and belong and be part of his kingdom, be part of what he's calling us to be. And so he's choosing at this point to pray in this way. And that means that when we read this, we need to pay attention and think, okay, if Jesus thought it was this important, I need to pay attention to this too. Because this is something that he was passionate about and gave his life to. So God's desire is that we may be one together. We kind of get that, I think. I think we understand that from this prayer. But then we notice this. He goes on and says, Father, this is how I want them to be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. This is where it starts to get a bit more challenging. Because Jesus' prayer isn't just that we would be one, because we can kind of pretend we're one by meeting in the same room. We can have united services and all be in one place and go, oh, we're one. But actually, Jesus isn't just talking about sharing the same space. He's not even talking about having the shared name where we say, oh, we go to this church. He said, no, no, it's deeper than that. Father, I want them to be one as you and I are one. You know, when we talk about church and community, it's quite easy to be sentimental. I do this myself. I, I look back to times when I had a particularly fond moment in church uh, where I was growing up, perhaps, or maybe there's some other experience, and I look back and go, oh, yeah, that's what community's like. It was great then. And uh, maybe you've got those moments yourself where you look at a particular high point point, you go, that sums up community to me. Uh, well, I want to present a bigger vision today. Uh, or you can look back with, with idealized Bible reading and go back to the early church and go, well, surely that was, a, that was the best community, wasn't it? Uh, and I've done that myself. I've tried to find the perfect model and I've gone through the book of Acts and looked and noted and seen what, what the Bible says about this incredible co community that are giving up their, their wealth for each other and they're praying together and they're uh, seeking God together and God's there and people are getting saved and it's amazing. But then I realized I still don't think it's this. Because I, I find myself reading Acts chapter 2 and going, yes, come on, that's exactly what we want. Forgetting that in Acts chapter 6 they've fallen out and they're, they're arguing and they're missing things. Or I read Acts chapter 4 about the distribution of, of, of goods and wealth and seeing that people are provided for and think, yes, that's what we want. Forgetting that in Acts chapter 5 people are dying in church because of lying. They, oh, okay, so they haven't quite got this. They've got some bits of unity, but they, they, we can't go back to the early church and go, this is perfection. Let's just copy what they're doing and we'll be okay. Because actually Jesus' prayer, his heartfelt prayer, I imagine him kneeling down saying, Father, may they be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be one. And so we don't go back to a, an idealized New Testament model. We don't go back to a happy memory. We've got to go further than that to look at Jesus and his relationship with his Father. Because that's how he wants us to be one. Now this is mind-blowing. I wish I'd got the answers for you to say, I've cracked it. Here you go. Here's the sermon. Ten minutes. We're going to cover this. We've got it all sorted. I'm going to tell you how to be one with one another as father and son are one. But the truth is this. After 2,000 years, theologians still aren't quite sure how father and son are one. 
Jesus isn't giving us a formula. He's painting a vision for us and a picture. And his words are recorded so that we might capture something and go, do you know what? That sounds bigger than I can manage by myself. So that's okay. I'm going to trust in Jesus and, uh, and trust that he'll get me there. But let's quickly have a look at how God is one. How, how the Father and the Son are one. In the Old Testament, we read through. As we read the Bible through, we read that God is one. Christianity is a monotheistic faith. We believe in one God. In Deuteronomy 6, as the giving of the law is unfolding, Moses uh, writes this down, or this is written down in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, this is a Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One God. We don't worship more than one God. We worship one God. And that word one that's there is a Hebrew word. Echad. Don't know how to pronounce Hebrew. I've given that a go. But it means one in unity. One in unity. Not, not one item. One in unity. This is the same word that would be used for one bunch of grapes or the people of Israel being one people. It can be a collective term that refers to one in unity. And this represent, this points to, just, just hints at the thought that God is not just one entity, but there's more within God than that. Adam and Eve, for example, are called one flesh, ehad flesh. They're one flesh. There's still two people, but they're united together in relationship. This is how God joins things together as one. But we also know that God is three. He's Trinity. Trinity is a word that's not in the Bible, but don't panic about that. Um, don't worry about that. There's other words that aren't in the Bible too, and we believe them too. But we see God revealed as Father, Son, and Spirit. We see in creation the Spirit hovering over the waters. We see the Word of God creating, and we see the Father initiating in that regard. We see in Jesus' baptism the, the voice of God speaking. We see the Spirit descending upon a dove, and we see Jesus himself getting baptized. And then we read Jesus commissioning. He says, go and preach the gospel to all nations, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what you do to people who you're making disciples of. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is three and God is one. And we get to this theology of Trinity and words fail us and they failed the best theologians for 2,000 years. And we talk about three persons of the Trinity. And that kind of works in other languages, doesn't work so well in English because we imagine three individuals and then we try and come up with different metaphors of how they all work together and we fail and they fall down. But it's pointing back to this central biblical truth that God is three and God is one. And at the heart of God is an ongoing relationship of community. This is what it comes back to. At the heart of God is an ongoing relationship of community. Jesus' prayer. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, is talking about relationship, not hierarchy. It's not talking about structure. It's not talking about uh, legalism. This is community right here. This is relationship. And that's what Jesus is saying. I want them to be like us, joined together. And as the theologians have batted this around and tried to work out how are they connected, this is a word that some of the ancient theologians used to use. It's a Greek word, perichoresis, which means roughly to make space around. Peri is the around bit, choresis is the making space bit. 
And this is a word that's been used by some of the ancient church fathers to talk about how God within God makes space for God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relating together in community, loving each other, existing from eternity in a community of love. We talk about God being love. And I've heard it preached, not here, but I've heard people intimate that God was lonely and waiting for us before we existed. That God was desperately longing for someone to love. And that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible doesn't tell us that God was, was filled with angst and wondering what he could do with his day until the planet existed. Because God existed in a perfect community of love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Making space around, mutually submitting to one another, honoring and loving, interdependent and connected. And this, this word, uh, uh, some theologians have described as being like a dance, a choreographed dance. Now, I'm, I'm not a dancer and I'm not going to demonstrate. Believe me, that's a blessing for you. Um, but there's this, there's this sense that there's a choreography to this relationship within God as Father and Son and Spirit point to one another and love one another and make way for each other and reveal the other and serve. They're self-aware without being self-seeking. And this incredible picture of God emerges and then Jesus prays, may they also be in us. I don't know about you, but this is both an incredible blessing and an incredible challenge all at the same time. Jesus is inviting us to come and be one with him and in him. And I, the moment I read that word just now, I thought, I'm not worthy. Why me? I'm not worthy because I know what I get up to. I know who I am and some of the stuff that goes on in my heart. And I know these things. And you think, God, why would you invite me to be part of your community? But that's the invitation that goes out to us, to all of us, that we might find ourselves belonging to Jesus, not only belonging to others, but belonging to God and being in him. As Jesus is in the Father and the Father's in Jesus, so we are in him. Well, Christ is in us, and we get this incredible connection. Have you ever wondered why you got the invite to be part of God's community? Have you ever wondered that? Why, why did the postman come to your door with the invite? It's a humbling thought, isn't it? Why should God reveal himself to you and me? But he did. It's incredibly humbling to think that he made himself known to us. And, and then we look around the room and we think, why did you invite them, Lord? <laughs> or we might look to another church in the town, one of the ones that believes slightly different things to us, as we all do. And none of us have got it all right. But we might look to another group and we might think, Lord, why did you invite them? Or did you invite them? We're not so sure. And we start measuring, don't we? But actually God did invite them. And they're part of his community. And Christians all around the world who believe many different things all got the same invite. And one day we will stand before the throne of Jesus Christ. And all the little petty differences will fade away. It'll be gone. Because we'll suddenly see that we're all wrong. 
and we're all right. We're all wrong with our theories and constructions and how we put everything together, but we're all right that Jesus is the name above all names, that he is the one who saves, that he is the one who rescues, that he's the one who's been building his church. Not an edifice, not an organization, but something that he bled and died for and prayed for. As he said, God, may they be one. May they be in us. And then finally we see this in Jesus' prayer. We see this, and I think this is an incredible challenge. Exciting. But this is what Jesus says will happen, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Oh, I've been so dim. I've been so dim. Reading from a slightly different version, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their message. I pray that they'll be one, just as you and I are one. Just as you're in me, Father, and I'm in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. You see, I read passages like Romans 1, talking about the creation of the world and sin that's in the world, and I, I know sin is the fault of the people who sin. I realize that. And I read about those who haven't responded to God and his love for them. And I read about the compulsion to go and tell. And we've talked about evangelism again and again. And we've, we've practiced it. We've got people like Jules sharing a great story. Sharing about what God wants to do and seeing people make a decision. And I still wonder why more people aren't following Jesus. I still wonder why the message isn't going out. Why people are switching off. Why in society as a whole, uh, it seems that ostensibly we were more Christian probably, and now we're less Christian. and It seems to be less, fundamentally within that, it seems to be less of an obvious awareness of the work of God, an honoring of God that's going on. And I wonder why, and I think, God, would you shake these people up? Would you wake them up? And I pray prayers like, God, reveal yourself to them. And actually, the answer's here. Jesus has said that if we will be one with each other, and if we'll be one with him, then the world may believe that you've sent me. Maybe. One of the reasons why the world is in the position it's in. Maybe one of the reasons why so many people don't believe is because we're not one with each other and with him. And suddenly I'm cut to the heart because this affects me. I can't just go, Lord, thank you for the invitation. I'm glad I said yes. I have to now say, and some of how I behave, some of how I act, some of how I respond, some of how I belong to Jesus and how I belong to do the one anothering bit will affect everybody else's salvation too. And suddenly I'm humbled again. Do you know we get busy, don't we? We get busy doing stuff and that distracts us from the being community with Jesus and being community with each other. And I've got such a passion, a tiny passion compared to Jesus, but such a passion that we might get this right, that we might discover something new in this season of what it means to be a gospel community, a community of people following Jesus, belonging to him and belonging to each other. I've got a passion for that and I know others have too. But I've been busy doing many things and worried about things and caught up in many things that have grabbed my attention trying to prop bits up when actually it's more fundamental than that the work that God needs he needs us to be one with him and one with each other someone gave me a book this last week 
And it's one of those books, if you like me, you, you, you're looking for things that connect with you deep in your heart and deep in your soul. Sometimes it's good to have the brain turned on and, and switched on, but this book I, I read, and within the first chapter I found myself again with tears rolling down my cheeks as I read. Now God never forgets us, but just hear this, this little poem that was in this book. And think about this as you think of your own connection with God and your own connection with each other. And maybe we can respond as we finish. It says this, Holy One, there's something I wanted to tell you, but there have been errands to run, bills to pay, arrangements to make, meetings to attend, friends to entertain, washing to do, and I forgot what it is I wanted to say to you. Mostly I forgot, I forget what I'm about or why. Oh God, don't forget me, please, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Oh Father in heaven, perhaps you've already heard what I wanted to tell you. What I wanted to ask you is forgive me, heal me, increase my courage, please. Renew in me a little love and faith and a sense of confidence, a vision of what it might mean to live as though you were real and I mattered and everyone was sister and brother. What I wanted to ask in my blundering way is don't give up on me. Don't become too sad about me. But laugh with me and try again with me. And I will with you too. Today, we have a saviour who loved us enough to pay the price for us. But before he did, he prayed a prayer that I believe remains unanswered today. I think we can be part of answering that prayer with God's help, not on our own, but by, with brothers and sisters around the world as we seek after Jesus and as we build together, letting God convict us where needed, encourage us where needed, and call us on. I believe we can be a church community that shows something of God's love to the world around. My prayer would be that his love would shape us and challenge us and change us and heal us and draw us back to him that we might be a community founded on him that's one with him and one with each other and I know we need God's help to do that I'm leading into a time of communion um, someone else is going to take that but can we pray that God would have his way Lord Jesus, you presented through your ministry such a compelling, wonderful, beautiful presentation of what it meant to live as part of the kingdom of God. You showed us how to live as part of your kingdom. But you also prayed that we might be one. And we know that being one has a cost. For all of us, it means forgiving, it means being honest about ourselves and about others, about what we like and don't like and how that impacts on us. It means that we are open to our fears and our vulnerabilities and our frailties. It means that we need to come to a place of transparency together and trust. And it means that we can't pretend. Lord, it means we need to love and keep on loving.
And it means, Lord, we need to face up to things where we may have fallen short. But Lord, in all of this, I thank you that we are motivated by grace and love. Lord, I thank you that the invitation to join your community, to join the church, was one issued in grace and issued in love. And we thank you, Lord, that this is not a heavy word, but a faith-filled one, that you can do something new in us in this day, that you can do something new in me in this day, and that for each one of us, you can renew us in this season, that we might be one with you and one with each other, that the world might know that you are king. Amen.